All right, greetings to all of our campuses and venues, including our 15th Street campus watching for the first time on video. We are so glad you are here. You know, one of the things that I'm fascinated by is, is that whole Civil War period. I, I, I recently read a book um, that, that gave this very vivid picture of General George McClellan. Now, we all know about the leadership prowess of General Lee and, and General Grant, but McClellan was definitely not in that camp. He was appointed by President Lincoln to be the general of the Union Army at a time when the Army desperately needed aggressive leadership. But McClellan turned out to be a huge disappointment. Even though his troops greatly outnumbered the rebels, he continued to ask for more troops. And he refused to follow Lincoln's repeated orders to aggressively pursue the enemy. In fact, all the time while he was doing this, he was writing letters to his wife. And in his letters to his wife, he would boast about being the most important man in the nation. But on the battlefield, he he consistently demonstrated a lack of courage. After several Embarrassing losses, Lincoln, who was beside himself with frustration, he decided to visit the troops. And he got up early one morning and he asked a friend to come with him. And and so they walked and they began to get over to a bluff where they could see, overlook the army. And and so they were looking out over the sea of tents containing thousands and thousands of Union soldiers. Lincoln, as they were looking, Lincoln stopped and asked his friend, "What, what is all this? And his friend said, why, Mr. Lincoln, this is the Army of the Potomac. And Lincoln paused, and and then in in typical Lincoln-like fashion, he declared, no, no, this is General McClellan's bodyguard. That was a joke, so uh, I'm sure it was funny at the time. But... um, but seriously, a few weeks later, that was, how, you know, that was how Lincoln perceived what was happening there and how McClellan perceived the army. It was his personal bodyguard. So a few weeks later, of course, McClellan was removed from his post. I mean, here was a man who, though incredibly gifted, missed an opportunity to lead his people, to save lives, to end the war quickly, all because McClellan was missing a key ingredient in his life and leadership, a key ingredient to being strong and courageous in the face of challenges. And that critical ingredient was obedience. McClellan refused to obey the one in authority over him, and the results were devastating. His story is a tragic and yet powerful lesson for all of us, life lesson for all of us. We're in the midst of a teaching series in which we're looking at the life of Joshua and we're talking about how we can be strong and courageous, how we can face our fears and life's challenges. Three times in chapter one of Joshua, God says to him, be strong and courageous. And so we're talking about what that looks like. We're talking in the series about what that looks like. Well, in in Joshua chapter 1 and also in chapter 3, we see this critical and yet often overlooked ingredient to this kind of life, and that is, again, obedience. One of the essentials to living a strong and courageous life is found in learning to obey the one in authority over us, obeying God. This is a consistent theme throughout Scripture, and it's a lesson God wanted Joshua and the Israelites to learn, and he wants us to learn as well. Now, there are are two facets to this obedience piece that we see in this section of the book of Joshua. The first is what I would call humble obedience. 
humble obedience. If you have your Bible or your iPad or, or whatever you're using, look with me at Joshua chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. And here's what we read. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Okay, notice how God links this command, the command to be strong and courageous with the practice of obedience. He says, be strong and courageous, be careful to obey. These things are intimately connected. So what's the connection between strength and obedience? Well, let's look at this through the opposite lens. Think of a time that you willingly disobeyed the Lord. You, you violated a command, something you knew was wrong, you knew he didn't want you to do it, but you went ahead and did it, violated a command. So, for, for instance, you, you lied to someone, or you looked at porn, lusting after images on a computer screen, or you committed adultery. So let, let me just ask, did, did that act of, obe- of disobedience, did that act of disobedience strengthen you in any way? Were you a stronger person because of it? No. When we look at porn on a, com- or on a computer or we commit adultery, we are giving our strength away to this image or to this person, to this sin. We become weaker, more vulnerable to this sin the next time. When we lie to someone, we become weaker, relationally speaking. Because now we have to figure out how to, how, you know, how to maintain the lie and keep track of who we told it to. Trust is broken. Relationships get damaged. You see, when God, when God says to Joshua, obey me because it will make your life successful, his point is that obedience brings life and blessing. Obedience strengthens us. Sin weakens us. Obedience strengthens us. It enables us to be strong. And I think all of us can attest to this, right? While sin wants to make itself look really appealing, the reality is when we give in, life gets miserable in a hurry. Life gets miserable really quickly. The guilt, the shame, the increasing pull of the sin itself, the damage to our relationships. Man, I've been there. We've all been there. God knows exactly what he's talking about. Obedience brings life and strength. Disobedience robs us of life and it weakens us. This is why God tells Joshua, be careful to obey all of my commands. God wants the best for Joshua and he wants the best for us. He wants us to walk in strength. Now, please hear me here. This isn't about whether or not God loves us. I mean, that, that, that's been taken care of on the cross. We talk a lot about that here. That's been taken care of on the cross. This is what this is about. This is about the kind of life we want to lead. That's what this is about. It's not about God's love. It's about the kind of life we want to lead. Obedience to God is always a better choice, even though we may not feel like it. And this is why I attach the word humble to this this description. Humble obedience. Obedience is hard because we don't like submitting to someone else. We want to be in charge. We know what's best. 
You know, there's a bit of General McClellan in all of us. We don't like submitting to authority. We don't want people telling us what to do. We don't want God telling us what to do. We think we can do a better job. So obedience to God comes from a posture of humility where we're willing to say, you know what, God, you are in charge, not me. You are calling the shots, not me. My life is not my own. It is yours. You are my Lord. You are my king. That's the pathway to strength. It's a pathway to strength. Humble obedience. Now, God gives us a very specific tool as it relates to this, something that's really helpful in this obedience path. Look again at verse 8. God says to Joshua, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything that is written in it. Okay, so, so the word of God is a critical tool to help us walk in obedience. Now, there are two specific things God urges us to do as it relates to his word. Keep it always on your lips and meditate on it day and night. So what, what, what does all this mean? Well, to keep the word on our lips means to speak it, to talk about his word, to have it be a topic of conversation, to read it out loud so that it becomes a natural part of our lives. A few weeks ago, we talked about a specific application of this, the, the power of declaring God's promises and truths. And if you were here, you know, we, we stood and declared those things together at the end of the, of the message. It was really cool. Our words matter. And if, if you missed that or if you want to check out some of those declarations, I put them on, on my blog, just a list of some scriptural declarations we can use just to speak out. You can, you can find those at allencraft.me. But our, our ability... And, and likelihood of obedience increases significantly when his word, when his word is on our lips. But there's more. It's not simply about reciting these words. It's about meditating on them. God commands Joshua to meditate on his law. So what, is, what does meditate mean? Well, to meditate means to ponder. It, it means to reflect upon, to chew on, to think about. How often do we do this? I mean, how often do we take a phrase in the Bible or a scripture verse and we just think about it, letting its truths sink into our being? Imagine the impact. Just imagine the impact if... We took five minutes out of, a, out of our lives, five minutes out of a crazy day or whatever, right? Or a normal day. Maybe both are the same. They're both, you know, normal and crazy. But imagine if we just took five minutes and just meditated on a verse of the Bible. For instance, verse 9 of Joshua 1. Look at, look at this verse. Here we go. Just think if you took five minutes and meditated on this. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord, your God, will be with you wherever you go. Imagine the power of taking a couple minutes and just chewing on that verse. Thinking about it. Letting certain words stand out to you. The Lord, your God, he's my God. He can help me in my discouragement. All these parts of this that can just come alive, it can stir our heart for God, it can encourage us, it can bring strength, it can give us a greater faith. 
It's the power of meditation. I mean, no wonder the psalmist in, in Psalm 1, which is a great passage, you can look at it later, but no, no wonder he describes, the psalmist describes a person who meditates on God's law in this way, as being like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. I love that image. I mean, meditation is like a tree. We, we can all picture this, right? It's a tree whose roots, it's right next to a stream. And so this tree's roots are drawing nourishment from the stream that's running by it. When we meditate on God's word, we are drawing spiritual nourishment into our lives to help us no matter what comes our way, no matter what circumstances we encounter. I mean, this tree picture, this tree image, is a, it's a picture of strength, drawing strength from God's word. But it doesn't happen automatically. It involves discipline. It involves taking time to do this. And let's be honest, most of us, you know, we, do, we don't do this very well. The other day I was meeting someone at Starbucks and they were a few minutes late and I had forgotten my phone. So I was actually sitting, or imagine this, I was actually sitting there with nothing to do, right? I couldn't play trivia crack. I couldn't check email. I was going nuts. It was like 15 minutes. I was going nuts. And in that moment, I, I just thought, why do I need my phone right now? You know, why can't I just chill out and actually reflect upon God, think about God, or think about a passage from his word. Our lives are so filled with constant activity, constant aversion. I mean, I mean, we ought to measure this. How many seconds does it take when we have nothing to do? How many seconds does it take to do this? How long do we wait to do this? I mean, seriously, I, I'm, just, I'm, I'm, I'm in this too. We just have this, this constant sense of diversion, constant activity that we really, we, we rarely practice meditation. So let me just encourage you, the next time you have five minutes like that, you're waiting in the car for your wife at the, uh, at the, to the grocery store to come in and your radio's on or whatever, you're looking at your phone, you have five minutes somewhere, someone's late or whatever, you have five minutes. The next time you have five minutes, try to resist the temptation to just immediately pull out your phone and choose instead to just think, think about a phrase from God's word. And if there's a passage of scripture that stood out to you, even in the message today, go write it on a note card or something and then just have that in your car or have that with you. And just think about that. This practice, this practice will fuel our obedience. It will. It will fuel our obedience. Okay, so let, so let me just ask all of us here, are there areas in our lives in which we are flat out disobeying God and we're pretending that it's okay? Are there any areas in our lives where we know it? We are, we are, dis, we are flat out disobeying God and we're pretending that that's okay. We're pretending that it won't have any negative impact in our lives. Don't believe the lie. Our obedience matters. Sin weakens us obedience strengthens us. Okay, now there's another facet of this obedience 
thing that I want us to focus on in the book of Joshua. It's found in Joshua chapter 3. So we're going to move a little forward to Joshua chapter 3. And the first was called humble obedience. This is what I would refer to as courageous obedience. In Joshua 3, chapter 3, we see Joshua's obedience in action. Once he had received God's command in chapter 1 to lead the people into the promised land, and then he had sent out a couple spies, you can read about that in chapter 2, sent out a couple spies to check out the situation across the Jordan River and what the promised land was like and all that stuff. He was ready to do this, okay? So he got up early in the morning, and he had the people move from where they were to the bank of the Jordan River, which separated the people from the promised land. Jordan River, they're on this side. The promised land's on that side. And the Jordan River is in between, right? And they've been wandering. Remember, they've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years because of their fear, their unbelief. And now they're ready to enter. They're finally ready to enter the land that God had promised to give them. But again, that land is across a river. How are they going to get across this river. How are they going to get a million people across this river? Well, let's look at Joshua 3, verse 9, where we see the plan. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites. See, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan. Its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Okay, so let's stop there. I love the, how the writer of, of these, you know, the writers in, in the Hebrew language, it just it kind of lays it there. Nothing fancy, but you just kind of know, oh, Okay, uh, this could be interesting. So, so how are the people going to get across the river? Well, they're going to they're going to follow the ark of the covenant of the Lord, which is going to go ahead of them. The priests are going to carry the ark ahead of them. Now, the ark of the covenant represents the Lord's presence with His people. It was this ornately designed box that contained the Ten Commandments and some other significant items. Its lid was made of gold, and it had two angels covering it with their wings. The lid was called the mercy seat, which represented God's mercy poured out through the shedding of the blood of sacrifices. So the Ark of the Covenant is this highly symbolic, this, this highly symbolic box, and it represents for the people, it represented the Lord's power and provision and presence with his people. And this is why the ark could only be carried by priests. It was holy. Now, this is where it gets interesting because God tells them they're going to walk across the Jordan on dry land. Huge miracle. But, but there's one little catch. Verse 8, the Lord says to Joshua, Tell the priests who carry the ark of the covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Notice, he doesn't say, wait Back, you know, 40 years ago, Moses just held up the staff and water parted, right? He doesn't say that this time, right? He doesn't say, wait until the river stops flowing and then walk across. No, he is very clear on this. He says, priests, I want you to step in the water before I do anything. Now, remember that little item um, that was mentioned just a moment ago. We're told in verse 15 that the Jordan River was at flood stage, during that time of year. Usually, it would have been about 20 yards across, like 60 feet across. During flood stage, when the snow melt from Mount Hermon occurred, it, would, it could be as wide as 600 feet. 
with water quickly moving past. And that's where it was then. And isn't this just like God? <laughs> you know, why in the spring, Lord? You know, isn't this just like God? None of this easy crossing stuff. As he already said, he wants to show his people how powerful he is. That he is able to defeat their enemies on the other side. They need to know this for what they're going to be facing. But before, before he demonstrates his power, he commands the priests to step into the water. And notice the order. You step in first and then watch me work. You go first. So notice what happens. Verse 15, now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. Okay, so this amazing miracle. The river stops flowing. The ground becomes dry. The people walk across, can walk across on dry land. But, but this did not happen until the priests stepped into the Jordan. So put yourself in the position of one of these priests. Imagine you're one of these priests. This is not ankle deep Wait, this is not an ankle deep wade in situation, you know, sort of like an ocean, you know, gradual wade in. They are stepping into a raging river. They're stepping into a raging river. I mean, it's pretty clear what God is asking for here. Courageous obedience. He is asking these priests to do something totally radical and dangerous. <laughs> something that required them, that required them to let go of everything they held dear in this world. See, in, in this situation, obedience to God meant a huge demonstration of courage. Be strong and courageous. That's what's happening here. That's what's happening here. That's what God is inviting these priests to do in front of everyone, right? In front of all the people. In, in front of all the people. He wants them to do this as a picture of what he is asking from them as well. From all of us. Courageous obedience. Now, we've been using the word courage a lot in this series quite a bit. But what does it mean? What, is, what does it mean? Here's a definition of courage that I found online. Courage is the quality of mind or spirit that enables a person to face difficulty, danger, pain without fear. Let me read that again. Courage is the quality of mind or spirit that enables a person to face difficulty, danger, pain without fear. Now, I love the first part of this definition. Courage is this quality that enables a person to face difficulty and, and danger. Absolutely, totally agree with that. But I totally disagree on the second part of this definition, the without fear part. Courage is not found in the absence of fear. Courage is demonstrated when we choose to obey God, even in the midst of our fears. It wouldn't be courageous if we weren't afraid, right? It would be easy. God often puts us in situations where obedience is not easy, where we have to step out in faith, choosing to obey him when it makes no sense to family members or friends, choosing to obey God when it's hard, when it feels risky. That requires courage. When we're obeying God, when we're afraid, that requires courage courageous obedience. 
in the midst of preparing this message, I posted on Facebook a question asking anyone out there to share a time when, when obedience to God required courage. It required them to uh, t- uh, some courageous response. I got some great responses. Uh, I can't share all of them because there, there were many responses. But one person shared about how a few years ago she was engaged to be married to a guy had the wedding dress, the date was set, all her friends were getting married, right? So all that buzz. Um, but God, she just felt God telling her to wait, to wait for someone better. So she broke off the engagement. She said it was the most difficult and now rewarding decision that she has ever made, she had ever made. That's stepping into the Jordan. There were no guarantees. That's just courageous obedience. A friend of mine who's a missionary in Africa and her husband, good friends of mine, she responded as well, told about how she hates flying. She's in there in Ethiopia. (laughs) She hates flying. And yet she knows God has called her and her husband to this ministry. So every time she gets on a plane and feels that response of fear, she is demonstrating courage. She is demonstrating courageous obedience. It is not easy for her to obey, but she is choosing to. Another person shared about how her and her husband have three kids. The youngest is nine, and they recently found out they're pregnant. And so she told me about this internal battle she's been having about whether or not to abort this baby. Um, She knew abortion was wrong, but she couldn't imagine having another child. I mean, you know, her and her husband, we're beyond this. We don't want to be changing diapers. You know, all those things that we go through when we have those surprises, right? So she she decided to abort the baby um, but in the doctor's office, in the abortionist office, as she was in the waiting room, she felt the Lord urging her to not go through with this. So she got up and left. They don't, they don't know how they're going to manage financially. And we all go there, right? We, I mean, if we, if, you know, we read those articles about how much it costs to have, have children, we would never have kids if we believed that stuff. You know, it's $800,000 per child. I mean, it's just ridiculous, that stuff. I think it's ridiculous to even read it. Because um, there's no way on the front end you think, oh, yeah, we'll be able to do all that. We can make a budget. It doesn't even work that way. So I totally get what they're at, where they're at, but I, I'm so excited for what God's going to do. Because they're doing, this is courageous obedience. They're stepping into the Jordan, and God's going to come through. I I just have a feeling of amazing blessings. And that fourth child is going to be an amazing blessing to them. Courageous obedience. Someone else told me about a time she was in Las Vegas, and and she felt prompted to go talk to a woman who was selling tickets for some show or whatever at the hotel. She was terrified to go do this, but just felt the Lord continuing to prompt her. Um, So finally, she got up the courage, and she went up to this lady and said, this may sound really weird, but I believe the Lord wants me to ask you if you have anything I can pray for you about. And the woman said, I do, my mom. And she started talking about this situation with her mom, and they prayed together. That's courageous obedience. That's stepping into the Jordan. Realizing, you know, I may look like a fool, but I'm going to say yes to God. I'm going to say yes to God. I was talking with someone just a few weeks ago who shared about how in the midst of a difficult season financially, they had stopped tithing to the Lord just to make ends meet. Um, and they told me how they had recently been convicted by the Lord about this, and they decided to put him first by tithing 10% to him, regardless of how well they were doing financially. That's stepping into the Jordan. It's not waiting till God provides. It's stepping into the Jordan. That takes courage to obey God first, 
to obey God in that situation. It feels risky, feels a bit scary, but they're choosing to obey. So let me just ask you, is there something? Is there something God has been laying on your heart to do? Something that feels risky? Something that's outside of your comfort zone? And maybe you've been letting fear win the battle or what other people think of you or whatever win the battle. What might it look like for you to say, enough of this. I'm stepping into the Jordan. I am choosing obedience. Even though it is hard, even though it feels scary and risky, I am choosing obedience to God. You know, here's a little secret about, about courage. Courage is a choice. It is not a feeling. Courage is a choice. It is a choice to act, to do something in the face of our fears. And here's what's so cool about that choice. It requires us to trust God at a deeper level than ever before. I mean, you think those priests learned an important lesson about trusting God? You bet they did. Courageous obedience moves us to trust God more deeply. It stirs our faith. It gives us this renewed sense of adventure, kind of living out on the edge with Jesus. I mean, and that's the life God invites us to live, not, not a safe and comfortable existence. No, no, no. He wants us, He invites us to follow Him wherever He leads and to do so with a sense of expectation and anticipation of what He has in store. It's like, I don't know how you're going to do this, Lord. I don't know what's going on, but I'm going to obey you. And I can't wait to see how you're going to move. Can't wait to see what you're going to do. Because as we learn in this passage, sometimes stepping into the Jordan results in God unleashing some incredible power in a, in a greater way in our lives. So all, all this obedience stuff is great, but, but you may be wondering, how do we find the courage to obey? How do we find this courage? Granted, it's a choice, but, but what is it that enables us to say yes to that choice? Here's something I think is incredibly important and helpful and, and something that enables us to do this. It's in realizing, it's in realizing that we look at this story through the lens of the cross. So just as these priests stepping into the water enabled the people to follow them, they stepped in first, enabled the people behind them to walk across the promised land, we also have a high priest who went before us. His name is Joshua. In Hebrew, Yeshua, i.e. Jesus. This Jesus courageously obeyed God by stepping into the floodwaters that kept us from a relationship with God, the floodwaters of our own sin. There was no way across. But he endured the cross for us and in doing so opened a way for us to experience forgiveness and life. He is our deliverer. He is our courageous leader. He is our intimate friend. He longs for us to trust him, to take that step, to trust him. He invites us to obey him humbly and courageously. And he promises, he promises that in doing so, our lives will never be the same. Will never be the same. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, I invite you to come. I know you've been applying these words 
throughout this message, but I want to pray you come right now for each one of us here. This isn't about the person you're sitting next to. It's about what God is saying to you right now. About obedience. Maybe there's a place of this, this humble obedience. There's a place in your life where you're like, you've just said to God, I'm not going to obey you. I'm going to continue this relationship even though I'm not supposed to. I'm going to give up on this situation, whatever. You know what God's telling you to do, and you've just said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to obey you. I'm going to do what I want to do. And it's weakening you. It's robbing you of strength. And the Lord may be saying to you, I want you to choose to obey me. I know it's going to be hard. May require some repentance, some acknowledgement. I want you to obey me. You and I both know it's the best path. So, Father, I want to pray for those who are in that situation. It's probably most of us here. We have areas we've just been compromising, and and you're saying you're missing out. That sin, whatever that decision, those decisions are weakening you. And God wants to bring strength through obedience. So I pray for that. Lord, I just pray for humble obedience, that choice to be made. You would give grace, enabling that to happen. And there are others of you here, others of us here, and the, the, the call is courageous obedience. God's saying, I want you to step in the river. I want you to step in the Jordan. There's something he's calling you to do, and it's risky. It feels uncomfortable. But you know you know God is calling you to take this step. So Lord, I just want to pray for all of us in that place where you're calling us to step into the Jordan, to take that step. Before you even show up and do something miraculous or whatever, you're just calling us to take that step of courage. And I pray, I pray for those of us here. I pray, Lord, you would pour out your spirit. You would help us have courage to make that choice in the face of our fears to be strong and courageous. And we would do it fixing our eyes on you, Jesus, our high priest who went ahead of us. You stepped into the water of our sin, enabling us to cross. And we're so grateful for that. We fix our eyes on you. We want to follow you. And while you're continuing just to meditate, to think about those things as it relates to your life, I also want to give an invitation here for any of you. Maybe you have never received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. The Bible makes it very clear that there's a chasm that separates us bigger than the Jordan River. We're on one side. And the presence of God is on the other. A relationship with him is on the other. And there's no way in our own power we can get across. We need a miracle. We need someone to help us get across. Jesus is that miracle. He came. The reason we're separated from God is because of our sin. So Jesus came to earth and he died on the cross for your sin and mine. He died in our place. And all he says is, if you want your sins forgiven, if you want to follow me, just place your trust in me. Receive my life and I will forgive your sin and I will change your life from the inside out. Just embrace me as Savior and Lord. And there's some of you here and you, you realize, man, I need to do that. 
Maybe you just need to make certain. Maybe you've been trying to get across the river and you realize there's no way in your own power you can't. There's not. You need Jesus. You need a Savior. So if that's you, I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now. And I encourage you, just pray in the silence of your heart. Pray with me as you open your heart to receive Jesus. Dear, dear God, I admit you're holy and I'm not. And there is a huge river between us that I cannot cross. I thank you that you sent your son Jesus as our high priest. You sent him to live a perfect life and then to die in our place on the cross, to die on the cross. He took the penalty we should have paid. And I am choosing right now. I choose right now to place my trust in you, Jesus. I place my whole self in your hands, my fears and my faults and my sins and failures. I just give you my whole self and I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I open my heart to receive you, forgive my sin, past, present, future, and come change me from the inside out through the presence of your Spirit. Thank you, Lord. I pray for anyone who prayed that prayer. Help them grow in this incredible new relationship with you, to grow in that relationship. And I pray for all of us, you would help us grow in our obedience. Holy Spirit, fill us. Give us the courage to obey, to follow, even when it's hard, even when it hurts, even when it's risky, to give us the courage to obey. Thanks for being an amazing Savior who goes before us. We love you. We praise you, Lord. Now we're going to take some time to worship this incredible Savior who is ours. So why don't we stand? If at some point you want to sit down, that's fine, but let's begin standing. We have intercessors around the room wearing red lanyards. If you'd like to receive prayer, feel free to go to these folks. Jesus, we love you. We praise you. We fix our eyes upon you. So Holy Spirit, come. Set us free to worship you, Jesus. We love you, Lord.